Ready, set, go! This is the Checkpoint Radio Podcast. Tune into our weekly radio show. For more information, go to CheckpointRadio.com. Here are your hosts, Nate Bender, Robbie Landis, Norris Howard, and Joe Sloan. Checkpoint Reach. Hey, welcome to the Checkpoint Podcast on the Westwood One Podcast Network. Everyone's listening. Exclusive, uncensored, and extended conversations from the nationally syndicated crew of the Checkpoint Radio Show. My name's Nate Bender. I'm joined by the Checkpoint Radio crew, Robbie Landis. What up? Norris Howard. What up, Doug? And over at the Checkpoint News Desk, Joe Sloan. Check a look. So uh, this week was our very first week of producing Checkpoint Daily Shows. And uh, I gotta say... It's I think really it, easy. I think it... it I, don't I could, say it like that. Yeah, dude. You're don't gonna, convince you're, anyone that we don't need to be doing this as a job. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, I'm just saying we're adept. Last night when I was streaming, and I'd already been working for a long day, so I looked a little bit tired, right? And people are like, you don't get to be tired. You play video games as a job now. No, I'm that's, still, that's wrong. You know what? That is here's, wrong. Here's, that's wrong. And here's you the thing. You at... A talk show about video games. Yeah, it's for still your job. it's still work, guys. Uh, yeah, and there's a lot of misconceptions too going around in our office about what we do. All oh, damn really? Day. That's not because we went around the first day saying <laughs> we play video games upstairs. Come join us for Call of Duty. No, we do a show about video games. No, no. What Nate is saying, okay, there was an assumption that first week when we went up there, where people were just like, "Oh man, I'm gonna come up to you guys' queue and just hang out." For a little bit, because everybody assumed, especially the way that Nate's sort of area is is created, he has extra space for all the equipment and stuff. If he wants to fix anything, and people just assume that he's just gonna have a full streaming rig ready to roll, <laughs> like day one, and people are just gonna come up and you know play Soul Caliber all day. Yeah, that was the assumption week one. Yeah, mm. they were just no. We don't produce anything. We need to temper those expectations. Yeah. I feel like yeah. no, but we don't temper them. We actually show them. We provide them with some real trail ass content. That's fair. I mean, but yeah, like every day is just like instead of throwing together the outline on Monday and Tuesday, and if something changes, like panicking and trying to fix it before <laughs> the show. Now we actually take our time yeah. and, you know, study the stories that we're talking about right. and, and have context and, and talk and about them. Here's here's what I find interesting is that, like, you know, in terms of news, because we knocked out our news segments Monday and Tuesday. Correct. Not much changed until about Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's always that way. I, I, well, it's either. OK, so either no, something no, no. breaks you're on right. Wednesday. No, no, you're right. Like, that's the cycle, though. And the, and that's what would always happen is that we would do the shows and then the next day, like shit would change. Well, that's like next week, right? Monday and Tuesday. I'm going to have to use a lot of the news segments that we did on Thursday and Friday this week. Right. They're going to be relevant news that we have to get to the national exactly. show. Exactly. And, so, and, and, and it's, it stands to mention that some of the conversations that you hear on Thursday and Friday may end up making next week's show. Absolutely. Or a show down the road even. Or yeah, or further down the line. Yeah. It, it, it's. What I've learned from this is that news breaks every day. Yes. But really, news breaks on Monday and Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> like, while news does come out every day, on Monday, hard-hitting expose. On Tuesday, <laughs> top 15 games where the character's gay. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> 
That's how it actually goes. It, it, it do, there is a pattern. Like it, it, it does. Like like with all the news cycles, there is a pattern. With the exception sometimes of esports news, because we did frequently have big news break on Wednesday morning. That's true. Or just before we sat down to record. That is very true. So um, the Checkpoint Daily is impacting the national show. It's impacting the way that we do the podcast, and uh, and and also it's impacting our sleep too. I mean, like or at least by my that you sleep. mean we're actually doing it on a regular sleep schedule yeah and we're not exhausted I'm all usually the time. i'm usually laying off the the show around midnight you know the daily show around midnight yeah absolutely. which is way better than 7 a.m i gotta say i can see how you would like that more oh yeah i think that's fair yeah i don't think that's an unreasonable thing so you know how we asked for uh itunes reviews how we've been asking for itunes reviews we we have asked for itunes reviews we a lot of them we didn't get any <gasps> wow this week we what? didn't get any how is this possible I tell you how it's possible. We made our goal, and now no one cares. Yeah, exactly. Oh. They just want to see you in the Bubsy costume. Well, the Bubsy cosplay has been purchased, with the exception of the shirt you need to get this weekend, right? Tomorrow, I will be uh, getting it. To, I really only need to buy two things. I'm going to buy a some, white t-shirt and some red paint, effectively. I forgot some guys. Yeah, there you go. What? What? Balling. Sure. Okay. Why yeah, Zod TV just subscribe with a tier one. Uh, how many oh, times yeah. do I have to tell you? Do not thank subs when we're doing the podcast, man. Oh my bad. Don't. <laughs> it's it's an inappropriate time to do it on the air. It's like it would, if we pulled over the the radio show to thank people oh. for following and subbing. My like bad. it would just wouldn't make sense. My bad is so nice though. Well, it is very nice. <laughs> no, go to hell, Zod TV. No, yeah, kidding. we saw what you did to Superman. <laughs> now you're trying to monetize that on Twitch? It's not okay. Outstanding. Uh, uh, anyway. My apologies. I got you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no uh, iTunes um, reviews Shame to, on you to, listeners. to read this week. I mean, we have 111. There's more than 111 I people listening to that I could make one up right quick for us to read. <laughs> no, no. You sure? I, I, I'm, I'm just going to let the Checkpoint audience live with their shame. Wow. Shame on you guys. That's, That's harsh, right. man. Yeah. I kind of respect it. So you gotta respect it. You don't have a choice. Don't don't disappoint me next week, and leave a review that we can uh, that we can read on the show, or else, or leave a review we can't read on the show. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know that there it's, are it's reviews the that we can't read on yeah, the show. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, we can read every review on the show. Mm-hmm. It's the podcast, especially if we choose to. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, that would be a prerequisite, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have to choose to. Uh, so, anyway, all right. So, let's talk about uh, this. Is a really interesting story uh, yeah. that the Librarian of Congress has uh, made a DMCA exemption for video games and interactive media. Um, which is, we actually talked to the maid about this a while back. It was like a year ago, seeking yeah. this exemption. I did right. not think that it would have concluded so quickly right. so well, the thing so kind of cleanly thing. i agree the thing is that these uh the uh fair use practices for video games and single player games specifically were supposed to expire this year oh. right oh. supposed to go away this year but instead not only have they been renewed actually it's in kind of increased the scope of what you're allowed to preserve because in addition to the video games themselves which covers a lot of single player stuff sure uh some of the accompanying software is now also being covered under fair use which would be things like say running a server in world of warcraft the software Mm. needed to run that right so now that we're talking about possibilities of being able to preserve and archive mmos in their earlier states too and i think that that's a really interesting concept because um and obviously while 
is seeking to monetize their vanilla servers, right? Um, they have the ability to do that. But games that crashed and burned, for lack of a better term, yeah, uh, Titanic, they, fourteen one point oh, and 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 again, it, it, uh, oh, oh God, um, what is it? Not it's not Hellblade, Hellgate London, Hellgate London was another one of those. That oh, I forgot that game existed. Just did, did did not do well. Yeah. Coming back to Steam next month, apparently. Really? No way. Yes, That's interesting, weird. isn't it? But I mean, there's no way to be able to preserve those digital worlds without having some kind of active server running. The Matrix Online. The Matrix Online. Okay, but the whole what thing is... What a particularly is, no, no, no. shitty version <laughs> it is. of a game. But here's the... <laughs> particularly shitty version <laughs> of a game. That's the most generous thing that I could say about it. Just, but I don't the, know that I would even call it an MMO. It was an MMO, I guess. I guess, yeah. In, but I mean, the thing is, is that this does make it a lot easier for, you know, games to be preserved. I'm pretty sure we shouldn't be rushing to preserve the Matrix online. Like, no, we should. No, certain things are best left dead. Listen, I need to know about the adventures of Neo and Morpheus in the Listen, Matrix online. Less people make because, these mistakes no, again because they're apparent- museums still cover World War Two and the Nazis. The, the, yes, Listen, they do, the, but I'm not. I'm not going to call the Matrix online. The, the Matrix online was supposed to be canon. You sure you don't want to call what? them Nazis? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It was supposed to be canon to the series. It was actually supposed to continue on from the end but of the my third whole point, movie. My whole point is that every masterpiece is not able to be saved to go be put in the Louvre, right? Yeah. You Final Fantasy stuff, Eight. You, d- yes. But you lose yeah. you lose things throughout time and throughout popular consensus. But Everything I, doesn't need to be archived. And, and, and Ash Saber brings up a really good point. Preserve City of Heroes. There, yes! I, again, there are a lot of really good, valid games that have just not been able to continue to be yeah, able but to you monetize. Just named a series of really shitty ones. Well, but I, yeah, there's just as many good games that have fallen by the wayside as shitty ones. But here's the thing. When you say, like, you know, not all games, like, need or should be preserved, I mean... In an era, you know, like with natural history, right, where you actually need physical space to put those things, I agree. But with something where you can just get a bigger hard drive, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think most things should be preserved. So, okay. Is the Matrix Online hot trash? Absolutely it is. But at some point, there is going to be a game design course where you're going to be like, hey, here's how not to tie something into your movie. Not to mention, Norris. No, but the the way I still feel about it is regardless of of server space or, you know, the infinite amount of data that we could store, does that mean we need to store all? All data. Do we need to? No, but that doesn't. Just because it sucks now doesn't mean that it has worth. Think about every single movie that have, that has ever been riffed by Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Yeah, are any of those movies worth anything? No, no, because no. that's how they were able that's to how riff them. That's how they're public access. Yeah, no, exactly. No, no one public would be domain, happier than me. Domain, yes. Yeah. To see every copy of Bubsy 3D destroyed <laughs> oh, and not preserved, and that's just mm-hmm. gone forever. But mm-hmm. that episode of Low That First Sight doesn't happen without but Bubsy what, 3D. But, but what I'm asking, not even that. Not even that. I mean, think of think of the story of the the ET cartridges that were buried in the desert. Even someone trying to take take a product that was obviously hot garbage mm-hmm. and make it into literally hot garbage <laughs> that was the subject of its own documentary. But my main here's thing one that for you, Norris. Last yeah. one. And I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna let you finish. Just give me a second here. If it wasn't for Final Fantasy 14 1.0, the story that eventually became 
mm-hmm. wouldn't exist. But yeah, at the same time, that do, do I ever want to go back and play 1.0? No, that's I don't. fine. No, but no, I, but 1.0 is a is a special case because that was a special case in gaming. You that was that was something that was a teachable I, moment. I don't believe in games. I don't believe that for a second, and here's why. I think if it cost you money to go back and play Final Fantasy 14 1.0, mm-hmm. or if you didn't if you never got 2.0 at the expense of keeping 1.0 but don't tell me that you wouldn't go back and wander around the world to see how the maps are different i would do that no i wouldn't i would bullshit you wouldn't no i would people would do it for if, the if you maps could just, weren't great if you could download it and just sure. and just be able to run it and and wander around Fuck yeah! Here, I want to see how Corthus, how they changed Corthus. I want to go back and see. I want to I wanna I see what they had. I want to see the areas that they had planned for future shit. You know, all of the stuff that had all of those level ninety nine mobs that you couldn't go up and get to. So to Norris's point, no, I have no interest in ever doing that. However, if they would create a not documentary, but retelling and like compendium of that story to be consumed and seen. That I would That's absolutely. What I'm That's get it okay. On. I mean, uh, dude, I would I would d- re-download the FF14 1.0 client just to go through the MSQ alone. No, that is I don't want to do that. <laughs> if they made it, MSQ was good. I don't want to do it again. I mean, it's so broken as, though. As soon as soon as you got uh, as soon as you got uh, the White Raven in there, it, it actually got but really my, good. Here's here's a bigger question that I have because it, while I advocate for preservation of many things, I also recognize that there are some things that don't even that bar- need to go that barely have teachable value. I don't want to say they have no teachable value, but barely have teachable value. You're, you're suggesting that uh, you know, like again, I mentioned Bubsy 3D. That game is legendarily bad. It uh, it owns a place in popular culture because how of how terrible it, is. it yeah. is. But there are games that are just bad. Hot Wheels Mon- Turbo Race that are bad and mundane. The bad and mundane and don't have a lot to right. offer. So, here's the here's a bigger question that I think I was also trying to get to is that knowing that preservation is still goes through arbiters, knowing that preservation still has to go through some type of process and with people who have biases and tastes, what makes you think that this is all of a sudden, you know, the wonderful moment where all video games get preserved and everybody will be happy. No, it's it is it provide it, well, first of all, it prevents people like the the people who run like Abandonia or Abandonware. Uh it prevents those people from being prosecuted. I think that that's uh, cuz okay, those yeah, those I websites, those that. websites are important and they archive games that I think in the full spectrum of video games are important. You know, Legend of Kyrandia may not be anyone's favorite game, but when I was growing, when I was growing up, though, I loved that game. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like well, I, mean, I played, th- I played all three of them. I think about games like you know, Combat Cars. Combat Cars is an objectively okay game, right? But growing up. I loved combat cars. Sure. I played the hell out of that game. And, and and I mean, you know, I think that, I, you know, there is so much digital product out there that it seems like an overwhelming task to catalog sure. it all, um, especially, you know, 
Because I, I think museums specifically have a different goal at the end of the day. I think, you know, to have an educational aspect to gaming, I think you have to show the way that continued development changes the product over time, it, which is a very difficult snapshot of a game to get. No, it's it a is. cross section that's a very it, difficult thing to achieve. Norris, and to your point, and maybe more to the heart of the matter, I think you're probably right. Not every game needs to be preserved and archived, but every game should be able to be preserved and archived. Okay, no, yeah. no, no. And and on that, you will never, you won't yeah. get an argument from me. What the legislation does is open up for games to be archived, full, full stop. Right. Or make the process easier for the thought of games being archived. We just saw to, that happen, happen in, uh, you know, in, in uh, England. They're opening up their first like physical. Museum for video games Yes a, a very cool idea Something that you should Be able to go and see Because if we're Going to sit here and, and you know Advocate that video games Are art I think all of us Believe that they are That's Sure right. Then like any art museum There should be a place Where you can appreciate Them in their form Absolutely And, and at some point I don't think It's unreasonable To think You know Like uh, that movie Ready Player One Sure That an archive of digital content is perfectly displayable, playable, and, and, and in perfect keeping with the spirit of that original uh, but, idea to place that inside that library, right? Inside of a virtual environment where people can just dial up so here's, whatever game they want. So here's, so here's what I ask, is that if that happens, and let's say that this place doesn't become a physical place, let's say it's not at a building, because eventually we'll have the capability to take all of these and host them somewhere You'll visit on a cloud. In VR. And you yeah. can visit in VR or sure. it'll be sh- We'll be able to shed our streamed. mortal shells. Yeah, or, or it'll be streamed to your whatever personal device that you have. That's that's not that far-fetched to think of. To your right? ocular implant. <laughs> whatever. But the whole point to me is, and this is going to make me sound, I guess, old and archaic, but to me that sounds like the death of nostalgia. That sounds like the Ooh. death of being able to miss something. Is it is it the renaissance of nostalgia or is it the death? Or is of it nostalgia? the death? Of I, I I don't know. I, I, that's that's interesting because uh, the the notion of having everything at your fingertips at all times. Why would we live in the past? You know, right. like I I, th- I think that that's such an interesting concept. A major a major facet of nostalgia is the rose colored glasses. Sure. Is yeah. being able to look back. Is being the, able to forget. Is being is forgetting everything that was wrong with it. That's right. Yeah. So I yeah, mean, you we, might be you might not be wrong with having it at your fingertips. Would you, in essence, lose the appreciation for it? I mean, because think about it. We've all we've all talked about since you know we we've started the new gig. We all talked about like man. I think I might, and, and two of you have, like, I think I'm going to put 11 on, on, on my computer. Yeah, on we my did. workstation. Yeah, it's right? terrible. Here's the thing. We all wax very poetically about 11. We love 11. We hold that game so near For and dear For those that don't know what we're talking hearts. about, Final Fantasy 11, the right? uh, we, MMO. We, we hold that near and dear to our hearts, but... If there was no 14 and 11 was still 11... Not a one of us would play it. We wouldn't be playing that game. But I still appreciate what it was at the time I did play it. I know that at the time... It was still hot garbage, right? Like knowing, <laughs> like knowing what I know now, that is an objectively bad game. But at the time, I still had fun with it. But that's knowing what you know now. And I think by having the availability to go and play and experience everything that you know came before 14 right or whatever whatever marker that we're using 
I think it does become harder to sort of miss something. Uh, if you saw the Mona Lisa every day, how quickly would you lose your appreciation for what that exactly. painting is? Exactly. You go to people travel to Paris and they fall in love with the city. Oh my God, it's Paris and I love it. But Paris has two million people living in it who probably don't like Paris that much. But yeah. then you also do. How long have you been living in Detroit? You still love Detroit? I do. I do. That's and when fair. I leave, I miss it because if I could just VR experience Detroit while I was in Paris. You wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> Why would you? So, but, I, I mean, I, you're I, right. When we went out to the esports arena, uh, one, uh, in, the, in the front lobby area, you, you walk past that and on your way into the arena, they have this circular room and it's got all you know video game systems of yesteryear hooked up and when we walked past one of them was an n64 and it had uh the original smash brothers going on there yeah. and i immediately had to run over and pick up the controller and start playing a little bit and yeah i immediately was like hmm this has not aged well this does not look so good anymore right and you're it, there's the difference between nostalgia when you're experiencing and nostalgia when you're so now when you think of when you it. used to play it before suddenly that's not that memory isn't fun to you anymore no, it it definitely like because again, like I know if I were to go back, are such a, are such a um, they became a social thing in our in our era. It's not playing Smash Brothers that I remember. It's playing Smash Brothers with, with my people. friends. But on that top of that, there's it's also context, right? You you understand why you felt a certain way in the eighth grade because eighth grade felt like bam. That's what eighth grade felt like. It's not that, you know, when you think about it as an adult that, you know, you look back and you go, oh, man, greatest time ever. But you also realize in your adult years that you probably did and said and experienced some pretty fucked up stuff or did fucked up stuff. So I feel like having the ability to feel that way about the things that you consume, about the art that you consume is okay. I feel like if it's preserved in memoriam in a vr experience where you the person can access it at any time i think we would lose a little bit of ourselves how, in that how quickly does it become your steam library yeah it just collects dust yeah i, I don't know that, I, mean, I mean i i get what you're saying and it could be a person by person basis but i don't see that happening to myself uh, i i recently about a month or so ago went back and tried to replay uh, uh star ocean the second story which was one of the first like really massive like jrpg like 92 different ending type games back on the ps1 mm-hmm. couldn't really get that far into it but that didn't do anything to tarnish the memory or or the feelings that i have of the game but that's you going back to play it once and i understand there are certain games that people have okay, well why would you even if you could tap into it at any point if you went back the first time like oh this isn't what i remembered why would you keep trying to go back to it until it's completely destroyed because it's there but we're talking we're talking about archiving code we're talking about archiving programming code yeah that doesn't take much effort right like it takes a lot of effort to be able to preserve a painting to make sure that it doesn't deteriorate to time well yeah it's a physical it does movie. not take it takes control c control v done yeah. but again i'm not <laughs> it takes moving file a to, to fucking folder b and you're done but again what, i'm not talking i'm not talking about the effects i don't know physical- what you're talking about we're talking about nostalgia I, I, yes I, because i think this one this doesn't have as big of an effect on what i actually needs to be done as much as it has an effect on us the consumers we the lose no, no, no. What, we're ta- what we're talking about is a professional curating ones and zeros instead of figuring it like having to curate a physical product and i don't understand why anyone 
would sit there and bristle at the notion of it being somebody's job to be a digital archivist. I'm not bristling at that. You aren't listening. No, I was listening. No, I was trying I to follow no, the fucking... I wasn't bristling at the, at the notion of video games being archived. I bristle at the notion because I know how far we're going to take it. And it's going to get to a point where we archive everything and everything is not worth being archived. And it's going to get to a point where people aren't going to give a shit about the context in which these games were created. So you're just going to have people playing the same bullshit over and over but, again. Nate, and Nate, to your point, I, th- I think you used the right word when you say curator. Yeah. It's someone's job to decide what is... I mean, well, uh, here's right? here's a great example. Here's a great example. In 1979, when the punk bullshit was happening all over the UK and yeah. here in New York, when people looked at the artwork and the music that was coming out of it, they went, "That's bullshit because it's just it, garbage." It's it's uh, people are taking uh, uh, magazines and cutting them up and recont- yeah. recontextualizing them, repasting them. That's not real artwork. And fast forward to this year when I go to Cranbrook to see an entire exhibition of punk artwork. Okay. There is time and context that goes along with curation. And I do think that the fact that digital items are easier to curate, store, archive, and catalog, that, yeah, you can archive and catalog more. And you should. The, the archivist or the curator should. It mm-hmm. should be as comprehensive as possible so that anyone who walks into that library, anyone who walks into that museum goes, my favorite game ever was Flappy Bird. And <laughs> it doesn't matter. It may somebody. To, yeah, to, yeah, to the four of us, that may be the dumbest sentence ever uttered. Right. But to but some person, to one person a out there, that is their favorite fucking video game. And all they want from a video game museum is to walk in and play their favorite video game. Yeah. That is the purpose of a video game museum. No, it is. And I'm saying if you have somebody who's a curator, there's either one of two things. There's a high chance that Flappy Bird ain't in that motherfucker, so they're going to be mad. Or we archive Flappy Bird and every fucking Flappy Bird copy that ever existed. Why not? That's stupid. Why not? That's stupid. It takes up two kilobytes of information. Who cares? Dude, that's... But you talk about selection anxiety all the fucking time. That's the thing I'm talking about. Doesn't matter. Why the fuck have that many options when it's not necessary? Because the person walking... Because everyone's taste is different. That's why. If you want a comprehensive collection of of something to exist in in a museum, you want... Anyone and everyone to be able to walk in off the street and be able to connect with it. That means you need to have the widest possible array of games, you know, in front of you. Well, mm-hmm. and I mean, I agree kind of, Norris, what you're getting at there, because I also think back to the... Uh, and and the- by the way, by the way, hang on, who's the fucking arbiter of who decides what gets archived and what doesn't? Who gets to decide? You're talking who gets about to a decide? curator? Who gets to decide? You brought up curators. But who, who gets? But you're the one who's saying, nah, that doesn't meet the fucking minimum bar. Yeah. That doesn't meet my taste bar. It gets thrown out. In In that instance, you're the fucking curator. Sure. Okay, but, I mean, so who's the arbiter and why? Why it, it, shouldn't that matter? Yeah, it should. Which is why we have people in school for this, right? So, do you think because somebody comes up and sa- because somebody comes up and says Flappy Bird is my favorite game, you should have it? Yeah, 
I, I think it's if you're ridiculous. if you're the video game museum, fuck yes. No, I think that's ridiculous. Why? Well, I, it's ridiculous. Why is that ridiculous? Because the, I think there's no actual point to having eight million copies of a Flappy Bird when one copy of what Flappy Bird was will do. That will explain all the shit that was after it. Now, if somebody came wait, up what and said, wait, what are you talking no, about? No, wait, no, wait, no, wait, what no, are you no. talking about? Eight million copies versus one copy. I'm what being, does that mean? I'm being superlative. No, what no, I'm no. Saying I don't. Is, I don't understand what you're trying to say there. That doesn't no, make what sense. What I'm saying is, why would we have Flappy Bird and then? 10,000 Flappy Bird knockoffs. Flappy Octopus and Flappy Flappy Octopus. all the other clone games that all came the out at the same time. All the clone games that came after them when you could have Flappy Bird and that explains every gameplay mechanic that was in all those other knockoffs. Why would we still have those? Why would we have Flappy Octopus when Flappy Bird will do? Right, so only Super Mario takes, Brothers the original. Nothing that ta- came after it. Because it takes that much effort. That's why. That's ridiculous to me. It takes that. It takes no effort at all. I don't care how much all. effort it takes. It's ridiculous in its selection anxiety and it's it's archiving just the archive and there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's archiving the archive. It's preservation. Yeah, that's it's the preservation reason. for preservation. And hold sake. on, you're talking about you're talking about there being selection anxiety. You're going. To the museum for a specific purpose. You don't wake up and they throwing this archive at you. Pick something to play. But uh, oh, you I mean, think it won't get there? I mean, how many, dude? How many you times think it wouldn't get there? How many times do you go to a music library and look for something that they don't have, and you walk away disappointed? Yeah, they'll find it somewhere else. But well, no, how many music libraries are there out there? Uh, there's title. There's Spotify. No, there's no, no. YouTube. I've heard of oh well, I've heard of that. I, whatever. I was talking about brick and mortar, but whatever. Oh, oh, okay. My bad. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. no. I mean, like, how many fucking record stores can you name? Two. That's it. I mean, uh, well, I, I think through the. Uh, do you remember in the '90s when we had that huge trend of like sixty thousand games in one system? Yeah. And we got those, and what you got was ten thousand copies of the same game where they would change one line of code. Sure, but the game was exactly the same otherwise. Yeah, that's more so what I'm. That's what I would about. worry about. And, and, that's you, what and you were pissed about. off because you bought it, right? Uh, you paid money. For more it. accurately, my seventy-year-old grandmother bought it. Fine. Sure. But let's say one of those, let's say, what was it? Fucking Cheetah Men. Remember? Do you remember that? Action 52. Yes. Cheetah Men. Let's Mm -hmm. say that's your favorite, or or you just want to be able to load it up because of the cultural significance of the fact that Cheetah Men 2 didn't actually exist anywhere. Right. Or or people thought it didn't. Right. You know, whatever it is. Whatever it is. The rarity of something is also to be factored in there. No, that's true. And I don't disagree with that. Which is what drove Flappy Bird, by the way the way because the minute that it got taken off the fucking store yeah, was you the can't minute get flappy exactly no right, so right, right. i'm not disagreeing with the notion of preservation in and of itself but as joe said there are plenty of games that literally there's a change of one line of code to not get you know knocked down by a copyright infringement which you might steal lawsuit. anyway or a lawsuit why would we preserve that why would we, outside of a special exhibit of here is our exhibit of knockoff games, right? Where we specifically talk about that as right, an idea. Because if you want to do that exhibit, you have to have the archived right. material to so draw do we off take of. Every single solitary one of those, yes. or do we give some examples? No, you take uh, you take. Listen, if you, if you're if you're in charge of being the arbiter of all of this stuff, mm. you have to keep the archive. You mm. have to have all of the 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 needless bullshit that people think are needless yeah. so that you can put it into the proper context to show them 
hey, here's the context of knockoff games. And this is that's all... the importance of having the breadth and depth mm-hmm. of a library. Like and this that. is all dependent on somebody who takes up the benevolent cause to curate it and put it all together and do it, or collection of people. There have been several, including the Made, including the I, Video Game honestly, Museum out in hope, Rochester, New York, and I hope and the it one stays down in that Texas. Way. And I hope it stays that way. But me. I know there's a capitalist benefit for this. There's a money-making benefit to doing this. There can't be. Yes, there can. Not not specifically not for the DMCA thing. Oh, there can't? No, you can't make money off this shit. Yeah. How? No, the DMCA... Uh, listen, this the is fair DMCA... Use. Is it, oh, fair use, fair use, fair use, yeah, fair use. Yeah, the, so you're right. Yeah. You're right, you're right. So you're if right, it goes right. into fair use, if this is no, now right. considered public domain... Uh, you know, because yeah, no. You, if it's it, public domain, it's whatever it, it, the fuck. It has to, it has to be designated as such first. Then yeah. I think, yeah, you should keep a very strict archive of that yeah. shit. I, just, I think, I, I just, think the rule is you, your organization has to remain nonprofit. I think that's how that has to work. Yeah, because like, yes. you can, you can, like, you can charge like an admission fee to see a museum or something right. like that, but, but you, you can't charge for somebody to take it home with. Them. Right, right, right. That because yeah. that would have to work. Now you talked about the uh, uh, how to put this the the benevolence of someone who had to take this on their on themselves. We got to meet such a person. <laughs> we did in maybe the coolest interview we've ever gotten to do. We, Was it not like meeting the old sage on the mountain? We, so we, at, while we were out at UCI, <laughs> while we were out at UCI, they asked if we wanted to talk to one of their professors there who lectures on video games. And, yes, uh, and, that's uh, uh, Dr. Darren A. Denenberg. And he, they, he uh, basically at one point donated a collection mm-hmm. of his video gaming stuff to UCI and was kind enough to let us go in and check it out. Yeah, so let's check out that interview with Darren A. Denenberg of uh, UC Irvine. Hey, welcome back to Checkpoint. We are on the campus of UC Irvine. We've actually made the walk over from the eSports Arena to uh, one of the buildings here, and we are now here with Darren, who is a lecturer here at UCI, and he has shown us into the Cave of Wonders. Uh, We are in a room that I did not realize existed anywhere on this planet, and I'm so happy that it does. Darren, welcome to Checkpoint. Thank you. So, Darren, I'm going to let you actually paint the picture of this magical room that we are standing in. So, this is a, uh, I guess you would say a lifetime collection of mine that I have spent probably about 40 years putting together. Uh, Some of these are, are or like if you look back at these uh, Atari cartridges, those are ones I've had since I was just a little kid. And they there's so much here, it just sat in boxes, really, uh, in my garage. And when I discovered that they had a game science program, here, when I came, came on as faculty here at UCI and discovered they had a game science program, I thought that this would be a better place for them, where they could be used, where they could be appreciated, where they could be used for research. And so I asked them if they were interested in taking possession of it and of course they were they were very excited and we drove it all up here in a u-haul and this is where it is now we are going to talk extensively about that but a couple things that need to have attention drawn to them first of all you have what we can only assume is a working atari jaguar cd now last i checked they made about seven of those and maybe one of them works so congratulations on owning probably the only one thank you and i actually got that brand new so it's uh it's you opened that out of a box and it worked yes that's right 
That is incredible. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, over a little bit to the right, we have a Panasonic 3DO, a system that someone at some point decided was okay to sell for $700. They were wrong because they went out of business, but if you could tell us a little bit about the 3DO. So the 3DO, I don't actually have a lot of experience with. That was a pickup from a, uh, I believe, actually a thrift store just sitting in the back. I think they, they had it in with all the uh, VCRs, assuming it was one of those. Um, but I haven't, I, I don't, I can't imagine the somebody paying $700 for it, bringing it home, and then getting the experience they had. I mean, at least the Neo Geo gave you something that was worth experiencing. But um, the the little bit I've had, I think there was a perhaps a haunted house game on it that I played. But I, the second I was done, I had forgotten about it completely. Well, you're correct. It, uh, almost no one did experience that because it was $700. And just below it, there's a TurboGrafx-16, yes. uh, which is a system that maybe, like, outside of this room, four people have heard of. Can you share a little bit about the TurboGrafx-16? Yeah, the TurboGrafx-16 was uh, NEC's attempt to get into the video game console business. It was very lucrative at that time. And um, it actually had a lot of good titles for it. There was no way that it would be able to compete of course, against the powerhouse consoles of that time. But it had um, Bonk, for example. It had uh, Devil's Crush, the, the pinball simulation, if you remember that one. So it, it, was, a, it was actually a good console. It used uh, the game cartridges were just little credit card-sized things, which allowed it to be used around here somewhere is the, uh, the Turbo Express, the handheld version of that, which actually took the very same cards. It was the same console. And so it was a, it was a, it was a pretty powerful, a pretty good console at the time. It just, it just didn't, uh, it wasn't able to carve out its own niche and there's a lot of systems in here that are, are sharing that fate i mean virtual boy is a very bad console that wasn't able to carve out its own niche but i mean i look o- I say it was ahead of its time. yeah sure <laughs> so the uh over here we have a sega genesis uh, and i mean a full-on sega genesis we got the 32x plugged into the top we've got the sega cd coming out of the side now along with the dreamcast this was really the end of the sega genesis era uh and and uh, we were talking a little bit before this interview started the 32x was the first hint that maybe all was not well in the world of sega uh the taking us back to about the mid 90s now uh can you talk about a little bit about the end of sega and what happened there well sega unfortunately made made uh missteps before they tried to re- correct and I, I think they corrected in a pretty good way they had the saturn which i don't think was the was the greatest console ever made but after that they came out with the dreamcast which was really a superior console and if you know for people familiar with that time i i believe that the majority of them would, would tell you that the dreamcast was really a superior console the experiences that it offered the technology it had it was actually far ahead of its time uh, something we were talking about earlier and and the sad thing is the 32x i mean no sane management would approve the release of the 32x uh, but they did it was really a sign that something was bad even now it's still talked about pretty poorly and so damage was done unfortunately if they'd have moved from that to the dreamcast maybe things would have been different but it was the sad that came after and then the dreamcast by the time it came around it was just too late uh, people had moved on and it's worth noting too that they actually had the neptune in development which was just going to be a standalone 32x genesis that's right yeah and um, i don't know what happened with that uh, but i assume they learned their lesson from the 32x and wanted to put it as far behind them as they could all right, so thank you for allowing me to geek out over just some of the really cool stuff in here. Uh, so, I, like, I want to talk about the importance of preservation, right? The, the the need for places like this to keep track 
of like of gaming history because a lot of this doesn't exist in a way that could ever be picked up and held again. You, there might be a, a, a ROM online that you could emulate, but the the value. I mean, you have a binder right there just of manuals, uh, and we have all these are, are in boxes that are in near pristine condition. Uh, just talk about the value of being able to pick this up and and get hands on and see what it was like when it was released. So uh, one of the reasons that I I was able to make this donation, I don't know if I should say this while I'm being recorded, but I run a bunch of emulators myself. And the fact is, it's not the same playing, for example, Sonic the Hedgehog with an Xbox One controller. It's just, it's too strange of an experience. And I, I don't think, I'm I'm a completionist and I'm a traditionalist and I believe if you want to know what the experience was really like you have to feel the contour of the controller the limitations of the controls that you have uh, you have to you have to be able to see what it was like to move a, a gamepad as opposed to a joystick for instance and what that kind of control was like and so we even have TVs over here uh, that when you when you plug them in you even see what the visual experience is like so it, it needs to be the sound it needs to be the visuals it needs to be the controls all of it comes together you simply don't get that from running an emulator uh, on a PC. And one of the reasons that I made this donation is because I wanted it to ultimately be a room, and it seems like we're getting to that point, where people who had never experienced this before would be able to come in and see what it was really like, to actually sit in front of the TV, hold the controller, and experience the game. And it's, it's worth noting, too, uh, just recently we've uh, had Square Enix come out and say that they can't release a, a modern, upscaled version of Final Fantasy VIII because they don't have the original data files anymore. Those are gone. And this is one of the same companies that has also gone out and said that they don't want to you know, have uh, uh, museums keeping archive records of their games. It's kind of a catch-22 there. It's, it's kind of the importance of, of preservation, right? It absolutely is. And that's especially true now. By the way, being a historian myself, I completely disagree that we should not have museums that have this. I mean, we should have museums for everything. We have museums for film. We have museums for art. We have museums for all kind of artistic endeavors. And I don't think this is any different. Um, and that's especially true nowadays as things are being sold and distributed digitally. Then how do you archive those for when those games are considered to be like these games? And how do you do that? So I'm, I'm uh, very supportive. For example, the Internet Archive has a lot of these things available online. And I think it's something that really needs to be preserved. But like we said earlier, preserving them digitally isn't enough. We need to preserve them in terms of their actual, uh, their actual um, physical state, the box, the manual. Uh, sometimes they came with other little things, maps or what have you. All of that is an important part of the history should be, and should be uh, preserved. So, Darren, as an educator and as a lecturer, what do you believe the value is in having a generation that didn't grow up with this kind of media be able to interact with it in the organic way that you were talking about? I think it gives them a real appreciation for this. We spend a lot of time in one of my game development classes talking about the history of games. As a matter of fact, there's an assignment where they are required to play the old uh, 2600 game adventure. And the responses to that are, are pretty remarkable, frankly. They can't figure out what's going on. But as they as they step through it, they start to see even some gameplay elements we still have today that were present all the way back then. And Adventure, of course, was a very important game. It was the first Easter egg, first inventory, first multi-room game, first Fog of War. It had a lot of firsts there. And so, um, you know, for these, for these um, I don't want to say kids, but for these students who want to go on and be game developers, uh, I think it's important to have an appreciation of where you've been to understand where you are and where you're going. Just like, you know, if you're a musician or a recording artist, then you should know about the Beatles and about disco and about Motown and about all of those things. And it's the same thing here. You need to have an appreciation of where, of, of how we got to this point in order to appreciate where you are and where you're going. 
as as time moves on, you know, kids today, their most of their games now come through their mobile device or uh, or through Steam on their computer. Uh, m- games are becoming more cross-platform, and they are, we're losing kind of that uniqueness, you know, that a Sega Genesis game had versus a Super Nintendo game, or or how much or that weird controller we all had to learn to deal with when the Nintendo sixty four came out. Are we? In this quest for engineering perfection, are we actually kind of losing something artistically? I think we're definitely losing something artistically, um, and we're seeing that now as the business itself has changed in order to be more uh, profit-driven as, as as opposed to more game experience-driven. Um, and I, I think that's unfortunate. Control schemes, experiences are all becoming homogenized. And uh, I think, you know, people look back on these things fondly. They talk about how great, for example, the N64 controller was. Uh, that's that's the general uh, consensus right now. But for better, for worse, we don't we don't have that anymore. And I, yeah, I think it's true. But with and speaking of the Genesis versus the Super Nintendo, for example, um, platform wars happened back then, just like they tend to do now. And so we still see some of that. So I guess it's nice in a way that we still have that. Uh, but at the same time, we, we are definitely losing the experience of simply sitting in front of the TV, uh, holding the controller and having the particular experience that that game provides. And one more question. I want to draw attention to the, the three uh, arcade cabinets that we actually have back here. I see uh, Joust and uh, Bank Panic. So uh, tell me a little bit about these and like, uh, are really another kind of era of video gaming, even before the console era of the 90s. Uh, a little bit about the, uh, these particular titles and the special place that they hold. Okay. So um, at my age, I actually remember going to the mall when it still had carpet, and they had an arcade. And, you know, just seeing Asteroids, they're a really basic uh, arcade machine, but it was completely enthralling. And we'd go there and spend all the money that we were supposed to use for something else on that machine. And um, as time went on, I actually became intrigued by the um, machines that weren't the standard ones. Everybody's seen Pac-Man, everybody's seen Atari, everybody's seen Space Invaders, and those are great machines. I'm not denying any of that. But I always take took an interest in the machines that tried to do something different, that were unique in their own way. And these are just three of them that I had. Uh, like you said, this is Joust 2, so even slightly different from Joust in its way. Um, unfortunately, that's not operational right now, but we're working on it. And then Satan's Hollow and Bank Panic, one of my favorite arcade machines, um, really tried something different. They tried to they tried to um, forge their own unique identity uh, at a time when even in arcade machines, you were seeing a lot of clones or machines that simply built on what a previous machine had done. These were very unique, and so I sought those out, and that's one of the reasons I brought those here. And uh, one last question. What do you think your favorite piece in this entire collection is? Oh, that's a... Uh that is a good question. I'm not sure I could answer that. Um, my favorite game is Sonic the Hedgehog, but I have um, I have other pieces here that were given to me by uh, family members. I had one one piece that I found at a thrift store that didn't have a price on it, and when I asked for the price, the person said the person who worked there said, "I personally will sell this to you. You meet me out behind the building." And it was like a drug deal. You know, I gave him the money, and he gave me the thing. And so there's there's a lot of things in here that have stories that have memories. Attached attached to them that have personal value to me. Um, and so, you know, depending on which piece it is, I think I could choose anyone uh, based on its provenance. Darren, keeper of the Cave of Wonders at UCI. Thank you so much for your time, Darren. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Darren A. Denenberg of the UC Irvine campus. Thank you so much for your time and for taking us through the Cave of Wonders. <laughs> if you want to see the full video, because we get a much more in-depth tour of the entire place, 
check that out at our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Checkpoint Radio. We spent like 40 minutes walking through there. We did. They it were, was awesome. They were super generous with their time. So. I, I have to say, Joe, you know, knowing that all these video game museums are now starting to pop up and whatnot, is it nice knowing that you have like some future prospects? Yeah, that, is that as what I'm going to do? As in the a future? curator, like you could the way you, you you had way too much knowledge stored about all that stuff. Yeah, I think you could definitely do it. Yeah, I mean, I I do love talk. Like I have weird random facts about old video game stuff that I just I don't know why I've and, hung on to. And I feel knowing you specifically, like everyone else would be taking you through the tour, like talking all excitedly about it, and you'd be like, "Now look at this hot piece of garbage, Mister <laughs> <laughs> Sloan. What have we told you about using that language? Oh, it's sorry, sucks. hot it doesn't trash. Even work." Yeah, that would be probably me. I see. That's why I couldn't be like in a museum because, like, <laughs> like you're supposed to like talk about like the value that everything brings. I'd be like, wow, I cannot believe they let us keep this in here. Can we get FEMA in here? Good lord! <laughs> <laughs> Two virtual boys. That's against the Geneva Conventions. <laughs> I think there were three. Actually, there was three virtual boys. I would boys. not no, be. Right. I would not be surprised if the virtual boy was used as a torture device at some point. Wow. Yeah, it was called the nineties. <laughs> For right. about a year. Let's take a look at a, uh, ahead to uh, our eSports weekend. All right. So first up, we have the group stages for the WCS Finals and StarCraft. Those are getting underway today. We'll continue on throughout the weekend. 16 players remain. Uh, the who's finals- your, uh, who's your, uh, uh, your pick for it? Oh, my God. All right, all right. Who's your favorite, and then who's actually going to win? Okay, so I th- like Haas is absolutely my favorite. I don't even think he'll be the best of the non-Korean players. Like, when you, like the Korean players, like you got Maru and everyone. They're really good. He'll probably go all the way. Uh, but then Haas is my hope. I, I want him to win. Both of them will lose. Because at, at this Joe point now, them. yeah, yeah, the Sloan curse. Yeah, I mean, well, Haas is going to lose to Cyril if they ever meet again, so we'll see. Uh, in addition, the Fortnite Fall Skirmish Series is wrapping up this weekend at Twitch. Con. Uh, so good luck to our new favorite uh, squad from Team Liquid. Uh, the Canada Cup. Norris, I, I don't know if you're uh, going to be watching a little bit of Canada Cup this week. I know you're going to be busy with uh, with Red Dead. I'll catch the VODs. <laughs> <laughs> Even Street Fighter V isn't going to pull you away from the Red Dead. Cast the VODs, man. Red Dead. It's a Red Dead weekend. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, CSGO, we've got Epicenter wrapping up this week. By the way, it is a busy weekend in esports. Oh, there's a little is. bit of everything going mm-hmm. on this weekend. Yeah, there's you, a lot going on. You think this weekend's busy? Wait till next weekend. Sure that. That's fair. Uh, this weekend's also going to play host to the Broadcaster Royale Omen Challenge in PUBG. I actually want to. I want to watch this. It's been a minute since I've had a good PUBG to yeah. competition to watch. And and the thing is, is I, you know, like I think it's been since um, God since that Berlin event. Is that the last time you actually watched? I think that I was the last time I watched wow. competitive PUBG. I think it is too. The one yeah. with the half full arena. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was so depressing too. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully this will be better. I, I hope so. Uh, I, Just I, don't show the crowd, guys. Yeah, uh, I'm curious who's who's taking part in this because um, you know it's always fun to get the casters involved. Broadcaster but, uh, Royale is good stuff. Man. Oh yeah, I have to wonder if our good friend uh, Matrim is oh, going to be in there. I hope so. Yeah, I don't know if he's playing or not. Yeah, I don't know Hopefully either. Pansy's but, playing. Yeah. Fingers who's crossed. casting? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. That's a better question. Who's casting? Yeah, who do they right? get to cast the caster match? Players? That's what Overwatch that's did. That's what Overwatch that cool. did. Well, when Overwatch well did that, them. it worked really well. Maybe they'll get players Because it was really it. funny. Oh, God. Overwatch is the best, dude. Uh, in addition, we have 4 a.m. tonight. We have G2 Esports squaring off against Invictus in, at Worlds. 
Rookie oh, versus Perks. Oh, that's right. It's tonight, man, it gets Ooh. underway. G2 trying to eliminate China from Worlds, and that would leave it with only European and North American teams left. And the following night, Sunday at 4 a.m. Eastern the main Time, event. the main event, Cloud9 versus Fnatic. This is the one to watch, guys. Mm-hmm. So This is the one to watch. Man. If, if, I, if I was a betting man. Another victory for America. Don't say it. Don't no. say, if don't I was say, a betting no, man, don't say anything. You don't want anything? Nothing. You don't want the pick even? Nothing. I think, well, I, I, I think I want the he, pick. He's going to ruin it, though. I would pick Fnatic against Invictus in the finals. That would be my really. That would be my pick if I had if I had to make Fnatic's one. Fnatic's return to the mountaintop. Fnatic is be- getting back to finals for the first time. Like, like, believe me, Cloud Nine is who I want to win. But if I had, yeah, if I had to put some like hundred bucks, I got to put it on someone. Yeah, it's going on Fnatic. I mean, Fnatic's a tight squad. They're a great squad. They got a lot of good players. They mm-hmm. are former world champions. Like, yeah, I, they, Joe. Okay, you yes. want to make this interesting? Mm. Cloud Nine beats Fnatic. Okay. Uh, let's see. You like May, don't you? I'll buy you a May Nendo Roy, the little figure for your desk. If Cloud Nine beats Fnatic, you're gonna buy me. Oh, something? sorry, sorry. No, if 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 if, if Fnatic beats Cloud Nine, I'll buy you one, a diva one. It'd be diva. I don't know if they've made a diva. Oh, okay. oh no, they have. They had. They do have a diva Nendoroid. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Fair. A diva Nendoroid versus. And then if uh, if Cloud Nine wins, you got to buy me one. Probably Junkrat. Junkrat is there one out for Junkrat? I believe there is. All right. I'll tell you what. You're on. And here's yeah. We'll shake on it. And shake here's on why. It. I win either way now. Either Cloud Nine advances to the finals of World, or I get a Demon Endoroid to make me feel better. <laughs> I'm happy with this. There Absolutely, you go. that bet was a little weak. I thought it was going somewhere way stupider. Yeah, me too. I've already had to do the Bubsy cosplay. What is there to do beyond that right now? Diva cosplay. I'm pretty sure I, I would come happily up with do some a Diva dumb cosplay for you to do. I when we went out shopping, I was like looking through the Overwatch costumes. And I'm like, I'm gonna wear one of these. I'm gonna get that Mercy cosplay going on. <laughs> Are the pre-made costumes for Overwatch any? Are they you know, I'm going to give credit to that Spirit they Halloween man. All of the Overwatch, really, stuff, all they the video game stuff was bad, decent, man. Yeah, like honestly, a lot of, like, what, other, a, what other? And now I'm curious because I haven't stepped into a Halloween USA since my last shift at one, <laughs> which was they had Pit Boys. Yeah, they had a Pit Boy from Fallout. Shut That's the cool. Fuck they up. had a, really. They sure did. They had yeah. a lot of Kingdom Hearts stuff. They had like Keyblades that weren't awful. Yeah, they and, and no shit. They had varying Keyblades, not just like the 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 normal one. The they had the yeah. uh, Oblivion the, the, one, the Boogie Bomb, the Groovy Grenade, whatever it was from Fortnite. Tons, the, tons of, of Fortnite, Fortnite stuff. stuff. Yeah. Was it all branded? Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, like Fortnite, 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 like Fortnite, Fortnite, Fortnite branded. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's yeah. smart. I was I was shocked at how like decent. Decent quality, a lot of so, it was. Uh, I mean, of, it's not of cosplay the, level, of the, but well, obviously. Like, I, but of, I actually, of the Overwatch uh, characters, who was there? They um, had Mercy, Soldier, Reaper, and Diva. Yep. Now the, the Reaper the only, actually, that's pretty cool. And actually, cool, yeah. I I was close to getting the Reaper mask because it actually looked really really cool and mm. was like you know pretty nice quality. The only thing that I'll say is that the weapons were like. Huge, like they were way like bigger. comically huge. Y- yes, uh, yes. Especially have you seen considering how big Reaper's guns are. No, those are humongous, dude, dude. The two of them together is like the size of my torso. That's about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah that sounds about right. And dude. then, but then, but then you put them in like because because I probably assume that the 
targeted demographic is That's children. the thing. It's like, for you, they would have been about right. On a child, no, not quite. I yeah. don't know that children are necessarily the target Why audience Why would they that? give the phone right. shotguns to children? I bet on there, there is an age thing, and it would be it a lot younger. It says like younger. 6 to 30. Six and to what 30. is actual? <laughs> six, 6 specifically to 34, right? Yeah. Like, interestingly, when you do the Mercy cosplay, it's either a Mercy cosplay or a Slutty Mercy cosplay, depending on how old you are. Oh, so it's all the same costume. That's pretty accurate. Yeah. That's depressing. But yeah, Joe was pretty close to buying the Bunny Blaster. I almost did buy the you Bunny Blaster. You should have bought the Bunny I, Blaster. Dude, why didn't you? I I might go back and buy the Bunny Blaster. How much was it? The, I mean, they weren't cheap. Like, they were... I actually don't think we looked at the price. Uh, the Bubsy cosplay overall cost me 51 bucks. Yeah, like, I think, like, the... the I was I like, y'all was like, balling out of control. That's what like you do when you got They were, like, $26 or something like that. Like, 25 <laughs> really? to 60 nah, yeah, That's okay. what you do when that's you got bad, money. Though. We ain't even look at the price, dog. We <laughs> was just buy what we got. You know, we need it. Whatever. Man. Yeah, I don't look it's, at price tags no more. It's Shit. nice. I was actually thinking earlier, and I don't remember what someone said to to prompt it, but you know, I used to stay when people were like, oh, if I won the lottery, if I had this money, I'd be like, you guys all being like, oh, I wish I could win the lottery, blah, 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 blah. I'm hoping I step off a curb and like get hit by the Pepsi truck so that I can sue Pepsi <laughs> for like just like a cool 30. Well, like I got news for you. You got a way better chance of that happening. Than you the actually lottery. have a much right. better chance. But of I was that just happening. thinking here, I'm like, wow, I don't want that to happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm good now. I don't need I'm a frivolous lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> I'd still take one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt to have icing on the cake. I mean, that it, would, it, hurt, it, it would hurt. hurt. It would hurt for a minute. <laughs> yeah. You're right. It would hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It's for front like 13 pins in your spine. Ain't going to hurt right, a little bit. Right. Uh, uh, all right. Well, that's going to be it for the Checkpoint Radio podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today for the podcast. Checkpointradio.com is where you can find out more info on the show, as well as full episodes on demand posted every Tuesday, interviews from past episodes, and much, much more. That's all over at CheckpointRadio.com. Stay up to date on all the latest by following us on social media. That's CheckPT Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like the show, consider dropping by our Apple podcast feed and giving us a rating and a review. Seriously, we didn't get any of this last week, so uh, it would, it would really guys. help our egos if you could do that. Checkpoint Radio is a production of Westwood One. Our theme is provided by the band Weird At Last. Big thanks to our producers, Rick Scott, Kevin... What? Oh, that's not updated. Big thanks to our producers, Rick Scott and Christine Corpus. For the Checkpoint Radio crew, Robbie Landis, Norris Howard, and Joe Sloan, I'm Nate Bender. Keep listening. You've been listening to the Checkpoint Radio Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, tune into our weekly radio show. For more information and the latest on esports and gaming, go to CheckpointRadio.com. Ooh.